0: Well, uh, good morning, Gateway. We're starting a new series of uh, messages today. Just We're going to have a conversation around how to relate to God. Of course, that's critically important. That's part of the reason that we come here on Sunday morning, both to do that, but to grow in our understanding, our knowledge of how to do that. So we're going to spend uh, three weeks talking about how to relate to God that will be interrupted next week with a special service. We're going to have Super Bowl Sunday next week. So we're going to have some fun. We'll meet in the cafeteria, and then after that, we'll pick up this series again. Um, to set us up, let me build a dependency tree for you. Sorry for those of you who are over here that might not be able to see this. I'll try to turn it a tad this way. In order to have the life that we want, this is what we all want. We want the life we want. And in order to have the life that we want, we sometimes forget it's not just about gathering as much stuff as we can, but in order to have the life that we want, we will have to build balanced spiritual lives. We have to. We have to take care of what's internal and our relationship network. And to build a balanced spiritual life, that will involve us growing So opening ourselves up to our connection with God so that he can grow us up toward him in worship. He can grow us up toward him in worship. We learn more and more about what that means, connecting to him. And we grow in toward other people who follow him in community. And building a balanced spiritual life requires that. And then we also, as our hearts are enlarged by Christ, we grow out toward the world in service. And we build habits and disciplines and patterns in our lives that will enable this kind of growth so that we can build a balanced spiritual life so that we can have the life that we want. And we said a few weeks ago that we were going to begin our year this year. We're going to spend a good portion of our year this year talking about this, about how to build a balanced spiritual life. We said that we were going to begin with our up connection, and our up connection Growing our lives up toward God in worship really involves the continual practice of two life habits. and Bell and I were talking yesterday about the cold reality that we get better at what we practice. So when we practice greed, we get better at it. When we practice lust, we get better at it. When we practice pride, we get better at it. But when we practice those life habits that help us grow up toward God in worship, we get better at it. We started that with what may be the starting place for all of this. That is using our resources with wisdom and purpose. That means acknowledging that everything we have comes to us as a gift from God and that we're stewards over it. It's an entirely different approach to our lives, certainly than what we're naturally wired for as we grow in that discipline, that really does lead us ultimately to the kind of life that we want to live. This morning, we're starting in a different direction, and we're saying that the second life habit that we need in order to grow up toward God in worship is to practice a creative devotional life. We have to practice creatively connecting ourselves and loving Him. We're going to begin this series at probably the beginning place. We're going to begin by talking about prayer. Because prayer is the language of a connection with God. Prayer is perhaps the primary way in which you and I both speak to God and hear from God. So this morning, we're going to look at Jesus' most basic lesson about prayer. I mean, we could talk about prayer for weeks, but... We're going to spend one week on it, and we're going to begin at the very beginning with Jesus' most basic lesson about prayer, and he's really going to tell us two things. He's going to give us the motivation for prayer, the right motivation, and he's going to give us the basis for prayer. In other words, why do we go to prayer, and then what makes us think that our prayer will be heard? So the, the right motivation and the right basis. And, by the way, let's, let's kick it off with prayer. Honestly, Lord, we ask today that we would hear you, Our hearts and ears would be open to what you have to say. I pray, Lord, for myself and my friends here who often connect with you for the wrong reasons or try to connect with you and have the wrong kind of foundation. We ask that you'd forgive us. And this morning, give us a a new understanding. Really, speak. In Jesus' name we pray. So we're looking at uh, Matthew chapter 6. This is Jesus' famous sermon, and he's going to give us the model prayer this morning. It's really fascinating. He probably gave this model prayer in a number of different settings. One setting is particularly interesting in Luke chapter 11 the disciples notice that Jesus gets away by himself and he's praying. And just by looking, they see that something different is happening when Jesus prays than when they pray. So they say to Jesus, Lord, teach us to pray. And this is what he gives them. But this context is a little different. He sets up the model prayer differently. And in that setup, you're going to hear both motivation and basis. Or prayer. So I'm going to be reading Matthew chapter 6, verses 5 through 15. And this, by the way, is Jesus speaking. And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on street corners to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive you your sins. Okay, the the reality of the resurrection, Jesus' resurrection, shows us that Jesus doesn't point us the way toward God like a good teacher. Jesus is the way toward God. And that means that for us, prayer is a different process than it is for others. Everybody prays. Still, in the United States, we think of our country as increasingly less and less religious. I don't think that's true. But still, surveys, too numerous to name, cite belief in prayer and the practice of prayer at well over 90%. Some surveys will put it at above 95% of the people in our culture, and that may be true around the world. Pray. Everybody prays, but for us, it's different Jesus in this passage lets us know that there is a pagan way to pray and there's a Christian way to pray. All right, I want to make an important observation here. When Jesus uses the words hypocrite and pagan, don't miss this. He's not referring to irreligious people. He's not referring to those horrible people out there in the culture who have no religion. That's the way we sometimes use the word pagan especially. I admit that I, I sometimes use the word that way. In fact, these people pray regularly. They certainly pray publicly and with great fanfare. We can assume that they were probably very eloquent in their prayers because they seem to be pretty interested in showing it off. No, Jesus isn't highlighting the great divide between religious and irreligious people. He's showing us the great difference between religious people and Christians. The great dividing line in our culture is not between us and the irreligious, it's between Christ followers and the religious. Whether they think of themselves as religious or not, that's what they are. And the difference, the difference between religious prayer and Christian prayer revolves around two things. And by the way, these two things obviously, this is the way Jesus usually talks, these two things are very related. First of all, what motivates our prayer, that is, Why do we go to prayer? And secondly, what's the basis of our prayer? Why do we think we'll be heard? Why will our prayers be heard? So first, Jesus gives us the right motivation for prayer. So why do you pray? There are motives behind every human interaction. There are reasons why we do what we do. Some of these motives come from very deep within us, things like insecurity or or love. Some of our motives are closer to the surface, like hunger or, you know, just don't want to be embarrassed or the desire to be cordial. But all of our interactions, every interaction we've had this morning and every interaction we've ever had grow out of a a set of motivations. This is also true of our interaction with God. All of our interactions with God grow out of certain motivations. And religious prayer grows out of a very different motivation than Christ-following prayer, and it has a different result. So that's why Jesus said, Don't be like the hypocrites who proclaim loud and elaborate prayers in public with great displays. They do this because they want to be seen by others. Instead, when you pray, go to a secret place to be alone with God. So let me explain. that two different kinds of prayers, two different kinds of motivations. So let's give the first group a label. I think this will help us understand it better. The loud, babbling, public prayers. Let's give them a label. These folks are merchants. They had a business-like relationship with God. They were motivated by their spiritual life for what it might be able to produce for them in the way of social capital. They're thinking like merchants. I'll invest my time in praying, and that will earn me respect or admiration or social status. Jesus says, don't be like that. That's not real prayer. Real prayer has a different motivation. Real prayer happens in secret. Here's what Jesus means. Instead of approaching God like merchants, Jesus is encouraging us to approach God like lovers. If we have a connection with him, our motivation will be to spend time with him, to nurture a relationship with him. And this kind of motivation on our part will move God's heart. You'll receive your reward, Jesus says. Religious people go to God like merchants, but Christians go to God like lovers. I mean, that's why the almost awkward language of love is all over Jesus' teaching, constantly everywhere, because he's nurturing lovers. Uh, Some of you know I grew up in uh, a small town in eastern South Carolina, and I spent much of my childhood in the 60s, and that was like a century ago almost literally, if not figuratively. And in the small town that I grew up in, in South Carolina, you had to go to church. There were more Baptists than people in South Carolina when I grew up there. If you didn't go to church, it was socially taboo. It was almost embarrassing. It could even hurt your business relationships. And if a family didn't nurture their child properly and their child wasn't in church and hadn't been baptized, something is terribly wrong with the Allens. Look at Jordan, which some of you may be saying on a weekly basis. (laughs) You needed it for social standing. That's not true anymore in our culture. That has evaporated. There may be little pockets in Mississippi somewhere where that's still true, but it's not true in Northern Virginia. You know, that's not necessarily a bad thing. For one thing, that means that you guys are probably here because you mean it. There's probably far less of a spirit of religion here at Gateway than there was in the church that I grew up in. And, and because you mean it, it will be important for you and I to remember this most basic lesson in prayer. We approach God like a lover. A merchant relationship is a negotiation. It's an exchange. I give you X, and you give me Y. So I fix your computer, and you give me the green stuff that allows me to eat my dinner. This is how religious people approach God. But when Jesus transforms our hearts, we become lovers, not merchants. So in my relationship with Diane, I don't approach Diane like that. I love to spend time with Diane. Honestly, sorry, I'm so glad none of my children are here. I especially love to spend time with Diane in secret. Because... I approach Diane like a lover. Religious people approach God as merchants. Christ followers approach God as lovers. Go to your father in secret. And your father who is unseen, he'll see what you do in secret. You know what? You can examine the motivation of your own heart in this connection by looking at when you pray. If prayer in your life constantly feels like a waste of time, you don't admit that to yourself, but it just never fits the schedule. There's there's always something more important on the to-do list, except when something really big happens or when something terrible is happening. If that's the only time you're motivated to pray, you may be approaching God like a merchant. You may have a business-like connection with God. I need God to change my circumstances, so I'll give him a little extra religious energy, and in return, hopefully, he'll give me a little miracle. This is merchant thinking. In the example prayer that Jesus gives us, he launches his approach to God by saying this. Listen to this. Holy is your name, God. Awesome, unique is your character and the way you act and and the way you move. You're incredible. In other words... I want to tell you, God, how great you are. And then he says, your kingdom come. All that you want, all that you desire, that's what I want to be done. I trust you completely. I want it your way. A merchant cannot say this kind of prayer. A merchant wants it their way. And they're even willing to give X in order to get Y. Plus, merchants never burst into praise. It's a negotiation. A merchant has no desire to tell the other party how great they are. They might give up a competitive advantage. That's just not how a business approach works. A merchant doesn't throw her heart open with trust. A merchant needs everything to be verified before they'll trust. But a lover, this kind of stuff pours out of the heart of a lover. A lover is elaborate and creative in her praise. A lover trusts with complete confidence. You are absolutely awesome, and I trust you completely. I want whatever you want for me. Jesus says this is how we should pray. Listen, the difference in the two relationships, between a merchant relationship and a lover relationship, is more than just appearance. There's a real substantive difference. If I'm a merchant, my relationship depends on what I have. I bring what I have, then you and I negotiate a fair exchange of goods based on what I have and what you have and the relative value of each. A number of years ago, Diane and I lived and pastored in Boston, and we had a young family in our church that had a, a baby who was in really serious trouble and was in the NICU. And so I went to visit this father at one point, and of course, he was just tormented and desperate in wanting his son to be okay. And, you know, over and over again, almost like a spell, he kept saying, Ed, what can I do? What can I do? And I didn't know how to counsel this or what to say. I'm, I'm listening to him just letting the grief kind of wash over us both for a little while. And then I said, let's pray. And so we prayed, and he prayed this 15-minute prayer that was kind of excruciating, crying out to God. Basically, it was a long laundry list of things like, God, I will... And he didn't mean this metaphorically. I mean, this this was deep pain. He's weeping. God, I'll crawl on my knees from here to downtown Boston. God, I'll swim across the Boston Harbor. I want to do something. Because I need to earn this. Because... I'm a merchant. Merchant relationship depends on what I have. It depends on my goodness or my righteousness or my knowledge. My knowledge. This is the approach we're taking when we say things like, I can't pray. I don't know enough. I'm a merchant, and I need to be able to bring a little more before I can approach God in prayer. This is merchant thinking. But if I'm a lover... If I'm a lover, my relationship depends on who you are. I don't love Diane because of what I can bring to her and what she can give me in return. Diane is in here this morning. I'm kind of glad because I'm sure several of you would go back and report all of this if she weren't in here. I love Diane because she's awesome. And she's cute and smart and incredibly sweet and doggone sexy. When a lover approaches God, she says, You're holy, God. I can't even believe how unique and incredible you are. We don't approach God like the religious merchants. We approach him like lovers. This is our motivation. Okay, similarly, Jesus gives us the right basis for prayer. Just like there are motivations working underneath every interaction every connection, every relationship has rules of engagement. And we know this instinctively. Every human interaction has an approach. It has rules of engagement. There are appropriate and right ways of interacting with others depending on the nature of the relationship. So let me say that again. There are appropriate and right ways of interacting with one another depending on the nature of the relationship. So if I go to the mall this afternoon and I bump into a stranger or I stop a stranger, we all know we can ask that stranger directions. Nobody will feel weird. Excuse me, can you tell me where Macy's is? They may not know, but everybody's okay with that exchange because those are the rules of engagement. But I can't bump into a stranger at the mall and say, hey, I really like those pants. Can we change? That just would not work. Incredibly awkward. There's not that nature of relationship doesn't support that kind of thing. I suppose two of my boys stumble into one another in our home. One might be able to say to the other, hey, let's change pants. It might end up in a fist fight, but it would not be awkward. Because there are rules of engagement that the nature of a relationship determines the rules of engagement. In the same way, there are different bases on which we go to God. So how do you go to God? On what basis do you go to him? What are the rules of engagement in your prayer to God? Let's ask the question another way. What is it that will cause your prayer to be heard? Is it being good? Is it doing what you're supposed to do? Is it getting everything right? Is it saying all the right religious stuff in the right way? That's what religious people think about prayer, but that's not what Jesus' followers think. Jesus told us, don't be like certain religious people who think that God will hear them because of their many words. God knows what you need, and he's not going to be impressed by your many words. In other words, there are two ways of approaching God, and the way we approach him is determined by the nature of the relationship that we have with him. So let me offer an example that I think will help us understand this better. Think of the kind of relationship that you have with someone who lives in your house. If they are a boarder, there are certain dynamics to the relationship, and there are certain rules of engagement. A boarder pays you rent, so the relationship depends on performance. It could be a very... I I know there are gradations, no, but let's just take the obvious ends of the spectrum. A boarder pays you rent, so the relationship depends on performance. It could be a very friendly border relationship, but there's always a certain kind of distance. And if I'm a boarder in your home, regardless of how friendly our relationship becomes, the basis of our relationship is I pay you rent, I perform, I pay you rent, and I respect your household and your, your goods. It is a fair and even exchange. I give you money and you give me a place to stay and you make sure that the place to stay lives up to certain standard. We both bring something to the relationship and we both have certain expectations of the relationship. Religious boarders pray like this. They bring their performance. They are convinced that they have to get it Right? that it depends on their performance. And they perform in a variety of ways. One of the ways they perform is by saying lots of words. Surely God will hear me because of my many words. That's how a border feels, and they're convinced that they're right to feel that way. On the other hand, there could be another kind of person in your home, right? For those of you who have children, your children also live in your home. And a child, has a very different relationship than a boarder. A child doesn't pay rent unless they get to be 30 and you need to get them out of your basement. A child's living arrangement does not depend on performance. Here's the key, and here's also how it ties into the motivation teaching. The basis of a relationship for a boarder is, here's what I have for you. But with a child, the basis of the relationship is, here's what I am to you. So while the border's relationship is based on performance of duty, the child's relationship is based on commitment. If the boarder refuses to pay the rent, then guess what? They're no longer a boarder. But if a child doesn't perform, they don't stop being a child, because the relationship isn't based on performance. It's based on commitment. OK, now I know that some of us are thinking, I had a really dysfunctional family, and that's true for many of us. But really, honestly, those kind of families almost prove the point. I mean, that's not what Jesus has in mind, but if you're from an extremely dysfunctional family, think of all the things that you put up with as a family. You'd never put up with that from a border. But because the relationship is based on commitment, you're still a child. That's why the Bible insistently reminds us over and over, over again of God's commitment to us. I have loved you with an everlasting love, God tells his people in Jeremiah. Because we're in a family relationship with God, we are a child, not a border. So, you get it. I mean, just look at the very beginning of the prayer. Our Father. Perhaps you've heard this before, but This was profoundly intimate language to teach a bunch of unschooled Jewish ruffians from backwater Galilee. Jesus doesn't say to them, which would have been their custom, this is how you should pray. Lord God Almighty. This is how you should pray. Our Father. Father. Heavenly Father. Jesus doesn't interestingly, teach us to pray our King, even though God is our King. He doesn't teach us to pray our Creator, even though God is our Creator, because when we approach God, when we devote ourselves to God, we have to remember that we come to Him as a child, not as a border. This is what it means to be a Christian. It means to be adopted into God's family. And the change that happens from the very beginning is not a change of behavior. The change that happens in us when we get a connection with God, the change that happens in us is not a change of behavior. I mean, behavioral changes, they happen over time and often very slowly. But there is an instantaneous change, and that change is a change in status. It's a change in the nature of the relationship. We become God's daughter. We become God's son. Diane and I had lunch yesterday with a young man who grew up at Gateway and is getting married. Lives way out now, but wants me to perform his ceremony, and I was just honored. He's a great young man. And we started talking about his family, and it's, just, it's been some rough stuff in his family, all sides of his family. His mother and stepfather uh, raised him and and it was a a good comfortable home but several years ago his mother died and Diane was asking him about this and when he began to tell us he started tearing up he said you know I had this great fear that when she died my stepfather would abandon me but he didn't in fact he stepped in even more so much so that before I get married I'm legally changing my last name to my stepfather's name. That's what happens to us. We get drawn into God's family. And he changes our name. That's why those beautiful passages in Isaiah, you'll you'll no longer be called deserted. You're going to be called delightful. You're my delight. The religious who go to God like border or like a merchant, they think they have to convince God with many words, or they have to persuade God, or they have to perform their prayers in just the right way. And, and sometimes they babble on and on and on to just make sure God hears it. You know how you can know if your prayers are beginning to be built on a borders mentality? And it can happen to any of us. It's very easy for us to drift into the territory of being a merchant or being a border, isn't it? You know how you can tell if your prayers are beginning to drift into the borders mentality? You'll know by your response if your prayers aren't answered right away. When borders, when religious people do not have their prayers answered, they'll either be angry or they'll be anxious. And this also happens to us when we begin to pray like a border. We feel cold and angry, as in, I've been doing my part. What's wrong? I deserve this. Because after all, this was a negotiation. Why in the world do you think I've been working so hard to be good all this time? Why aren't you coming through, God? Or we'll get anxious, as in, oh, I know, I'm not getting it right. I feel so guilty, I know I haven't done enough, and there's that sin on Thursday, and that's why God isn't answering my prayers. But we're not boarders. And we're not merchants. Because the life and power of Jesus is intersected with our lives. We're lovers, and we're children. So we can pray, Heavenly Father, holy, incredible is your name your kingdom come your sovereign rule and your will be done right here as if it's right in your presence here here in my life in my family in my neighborhood in my church give us today our daily bread that's interesting isn't it you see border's and merchants can't pray a prayer like this border's and merchants have to plan way ahead Borders and merchants have to stay in control. They have to anticipate everything that's coming. But lovers and children, they can rest. They can trust. They accept what they're given today, and they don't worry because they trust what's coming tomorrow. Christians know that everything that comes our way comes our way as a result of grace. We didn't perform. We didn't do anything. We didn't do anything to become children. Children don't do anything to become a child. What happens, happens to them. So for children and for lovers, elaborate praise and trust comes naturally. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. I like what Pastor Tim Keller said about this. He made an interesting observation about this, and he talked about repentance and forgiveness. Keller said this, Pagans and Christians, listen, Pagans and Christians both repent of their sins. We all feel guilty about our sins. We all feel guilty about what we do wrong. The difference is that Christians repent of their righteousness. We know our righteous acts are filthy rags. We know we bring nothing to God. We don't deserve what God does. None of it. Listen, you cannot be the person that you want to be if you don't invest in building a balanced spiritual life. And you cannot build a balanced spiritual life without investing in habits and practices that allow God to grow you up toward him in worship. Investing in habits and practices that allow God to deepen you in your commitment in toward other people who know him. And that allow God to expand your heart in ways that open you out toward the world in service and in laying down your life in service. You have to build a balanced spiritual life. And the habits that will allow God to grow us up toward himself are first, understanding that all of our resources are a gift from him, a gift from him. And we must use them wisely. And secondly, We practice a creative devotional life. We will find ways, because we're lovers, we will find ways to elaborately tell God how great he is and how awesome this connection is. And we're just so happy to be here because we're lovers. That kind of creative devotional life begins with prayer. It begins with us moving toward God like a lover and like a child. Because that's what we are. So, I want to encourage you this week to try some new practice in prayer. I hope today has been a a good reminder and there's been a little oomph of inspiration in it. I hope this week you will find the time to draw near to God. and, And I hope that you will be reminded as you do so. I hope you'll come into His presence And you'll be reminded, heart, mind, and will, you'll be reminded, I'm coming to you, God, like a child. Father, morning, and I'm coming to you like a lover. You are the absolute best. So let's get alone together and let's kind of show one another. Second thing, I want to set us up for something. This is my second reminder, and you'll be hearing more about this in the coming weeks. But those of you who've been around Gateway for a while, you know that God has put a really awesome, wonderful, and incredible challenge in front of us. We're going to have to raise, as of last fall, it was a million dollars, but you guys have been so generous. It's far less than that. We've got a long way to go. You'll be hearing more about the specifics this month. But between last October and when we are in our building in late July or early August, to finish out that building and allow us to put the best foot forward for the neighborhood around us, the community around us, we realized that we need to raise an additional million dollars. So we said from the beginning last fall that that begins not with planning but with praying. So this Lenten season, I'm going to encourage us to engage in a prayer exercise. But as we do so, I want us to go to that prayer like lovers and like children. So I'm going to ask us as a congregation, as many of you as can, I want you to pray one minute at one o'clock for our $1 million challenge through the Lenten season. So I'll be telling you more about it this month. But I want to encourage you to join us in that. So remember your lovers and your children. And it starts that simply. There's a lot to learn about prayer. You know, prayer is calculus. But you can begin praying by adding and subtracting. The smallest child can pray. All you have to do to pray is to approach your heavenly father like a lover and like a child. Let's pray. Our father Who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, just what we need for today. Forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who've trespassed against us. And lead us not into temptation but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. And all God's people said,